Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Again, has to be careful of the speed. What a comeback season for Hal Sutton. Come right back toward the hole. Seventeen years later, Hal Sutton is the Players' Champion. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Be The Right Club Today podcast. How? Part two, Brandel Chambly. Uh, you and I already know where it went, but yeah. it's exciting to uh, to hear his viewpoints. And yeah. he's so uh, educated. That would be the word that I would put. He's, he's really educated himself on the game of golf. And not just the swing, yep. but the way you play golf. It was kind of funny. We had a few students come in, kind of, kind of upset that we cut this into two parts. They liked the first part so well. They were like, "I feel like you left me at a cliffhanger." But now you guys, be rest assured, you'll get part two. Here it is. <laughs> you guys enjoy part two. Brandel Chambly says, "Play conservative golf." At least, at least in the greens, aggressive off the tee, conservative in the greens, basically. Yeah, I suppose. But I mean, it, it's it's aggressive off of the tee within a dispersion cone. So you just lay your dispersion cone out there and you have an aiming point. You just don't deviate from your dispersion cone. If your dispersion cone doesn't doesn't fit out there in the fairway, if you don't have a 60 wide yard uh, from bad trouble to bad trouble or from trees to trees, if you don't have that dispersion cone. You're not you, it's not a driver play. And so, and they give you very specific aiming points that would differ from a lot of them. That's why I've said, you know, some of their students are coming out and schooling veterans who have not taken the time. And I'll give you a good example. The first hole at Royal Melbourne was a, was a, it's a, it's a short little par four, you know, which straight away with just a slight turn up near the green that almost everybody laid up and hit wedge into. Okay. And Ernie Els was adamant that you lay up there. And I think he didn't even play Hao Tong Lee because Hao Tong Lee wanted to go for that green until singles or, you know, uh, he, he was upset with Hao Tong Lee's strategy to hit driver. Day. Well, the decade guys had laid the dispersion cone and they, they've done the numbers. Yeah. Right. They, they run it. And now other stats guys can do this as well. They've run it. And the play hundred percent of the time was hit driver, send it, send it. Okay. It was not layup. And, and again, that's, that is where numbers, you know, if let's say a player, you know, yeah, of course, if a player's snap hooking it one day or snap slicing, well, he probably wouldn't be on the team or he probably wouldn't be playing. I mean, if he's good enough to be there, he can keep it in a 60 yard cone. And if you could keep it in a 60 yard cone, a hundred percent of the time, the play is to hit driver at one at Royal Melbourne. You know, I'm, I'm assuming that it's not 50 mile an hour wind in or whatever. And, and that is just one example of where young players who are looking at Google Earth and looking using Google Maps to plot out strategy 
have advantages over veterans and they know the play. They know what's right. And, and so, you know, Kathy Whitworth wrote a beautiful book. What the heck is it? It's a beautiful book um, that, I, that I, I laugh at. I'll send it to Scott sometimes, just jokingly, where she writes, she has, you know, a page. She, she won 88 times, more than any other professional golfer, 88 times on a major tour. And she, she said, you know, you, you aim at the middle of the greens. Okay. That's, that's, that's her secret. So you, you aim at the middle of the greens. You take trouble out of play. You play conservative. Jack Nicholas, same thing. Uh, ben Hogan, as good as he was, when he won at Marion in 1950, I was reading this yesterday in some old Grantland Rice articles. And Hogan was talking about he ran into Grantland Rice early in the week in 1950. And he said of Marion that this golf course is so hard and so demanding that he will not aim at a single pin that week. This is on like Tuesday of 1950. Of the he goes now. This is arguably the greatest ball striker that's ever lived. Certainly the greatest ball striker in that event that week, who would not take on a single pin. Okay, that he was going to play conservative. You know the shot that High Peskin took the photo of Ben Hogan in the 18th green at Marion. That is probably the most famous photograph ever taken in golf. That's a one iron, and Ben hit it 40 feet. And you know in the if you see that, you think, oh, Ben must have stuffed it. No, he hit it 40 feet and two-putted to get into the playoff. But his strategy was just to hit it at the middle of the greens. And, you know, we love to think about Johnny Miller never seeing, you know, going at every flag and, and Lanny Watkins going at every flag. And those things are wonderful to think about. And I, Andy Martinez told me once that Johnny Miller played a stretch of golf where the farthest an iron shot ever deviated from the fat flag was like three, four feet. And Andy doesn't lie. I believe Andy. It's just said, you know, you look at the data and nobody's that straight now. Nobody. Um, now I did argue because I went to the, one of these and uh, clinics with, with Scott and Lou and, and they were talking about, you know, with, with this club wedge, you aim five steps to the right and, maybe four and this one six. And it was always, you know, within the parameters, there were very few times that you could just go right at it. And if there's no trouble around it, you could go right at it. And I, you know, and these were, they gave me a chart and I said, these are the averages. And I said, so, all right, so here's my question. So if Tiger Woods is playing around a golf at his best and he is on average feet better than second best and about four five, six feet better than the average, these are his numbers. And they, they said, yeah, those are his numbers. I was like, okay, I, I, you know, and that we can have these disagreements. I mean, I think they're brilliant guys, but in my view, I can't imagine Tiger Woods um, having exactly those conservative numbers. But again, Tiger Woods famously said major championships, middle of the green two putt until the birdie opportunity comes along. So you know, I, I think these these guys uh, and Scott and and Lou are the best two examples right now. They're properly training players how to play golf the way it used to take veterans ten years to sort of figure out. They've shortened the uh, you know vastly shortened the apprenticeship necessary in the game of golf. So, okay, Brandon, you you brought up something that I really want to discuss a little bit. Let's go back to the 18th hole. At TPC. Yeah. 
the year I beat Tiger, I hit three wood off that tee to the right-hand side of the fairway every time. Didn't think about the angle. Didn't think about the angle. That's just where I knew that I could be the most successful at all the time. I got a one-shot lead. We're headed to the tee on the 18th hole and never, ever thought about hitting three wood. I thought about hitting driver. Here is the reason why. I had to have the last shot into the green. I could not step off the gas against Tiger. I had to keep the momentum going. I had to have the last shot in. He had, because he had eagled 16, he had the tee. He'd already hit his stinger two iron down there, 260 yards. I knew I couldn't hit my three wood past his two iron. Wow. So the only way that I could get it, it was my moment in time right there. And that's where I'm trying to get to. I believe that every great player, I love what Scott does, but great players deviate from that at times. Yeah, right. They I agree to, with you. I agree. They with have you. to to become great. They have to have the leniency for the moment, whatever that moment is. They've they spent all these years learning how to play golf, learning the nerve endings and the insulation. Yeah, they have to trust that at the time. And there was no doubt in my mind when I pulled that driver where that driver was going. Well, and how, and, set, how set it up for set up for Brandel too, where you're going with what happened on 17 this year. Well, okay. That's great. That's, and that was one of the questions that I wanted to ask you. I don't think guys are trying to win enough. I think there's a, like Lee Westwood gets there. It's his moment in time. All they've been talking about is he hadn't won over here. Like he should have won. He just, I mean, he, he hadn't won a major and, he gets to 17 and he may have pulled that ball over there. I have no idea if he pulled that ball over there, but I can tell you right now, Tiger Woods would ain't right at that flag because he was trying to win every tournament. I mean, he didn't start the tournament that way, but that moment is there. It's your time. If I'd have been Lee Westwood, I'm not taking away from his girlfriend, but if I'd have been on Lee Westwood's back, I'd have said, Hey, it's time. This is our moment. Let's take it. Yeah, I, I, look, I couldn't agree more with you about situational awareness uh, trumping statistical, um, averages. Uh, you know, uh, you know st- the deprivation of statistical data. You know, just having it right there in front of you. I, I'll give you a tremendous, you know, at least it might be one of the best examples of what you're talking about. Uh, I was playing in the final group at, at uh, Hartford with Stuart Sink. And Stewart snap hooks it up on the hill on the 17th at Hartford. And, and if you know the hole, it's a dog leg right water off the tee and water, essentially an island green. I mean, and I was hit it perfect. I'm one back. I hit it perfect right down the middle of the fairway. I've got wedge into the back right hole location. And I hear his name was, his caddy was Fr- uh, Frank, you know, good looking guy, Frank. I forgot yeah. Frank's last name. And, and, uh, Stewart is talking about laying up and I'm sure all the data would have had him to lay up. And, and I, I heard Frank say to him, um, he goes, no, you can get this ball in the green. He goes, he goes, and Stewart was a rookie, I believe, but he said, he goes, chances to win do not come around very often. They just don't. And he was like, you can get this ball on the green. And, and he talked Stewart into hitting this shot. And when he hit the shot, I remember standing like yesterday, I'm standing in the fairway, I see this ball, and I think, that's going in the water. I just won this tournament. And that ball did not go in the water. It landed on the green. 
and he two putted and I, I hit it pretty close, but missed it. Hit it pretty close to the last and missed it. And, uh, and he won. And I don't think he might not have won if he had laid up, you know, he might not, I might've beat him in a playoff, but, but that was Frank who had a lot of experiences, caddy, uh, essentially doing what, what you just said, you know, situational awareness can trump, you know, uh, all of the, the, the statistical conservative plans prior to, and I think you're probably right about tiger. I mean, you know, a tiger, I think better as, as good as anyone, maybe better than anyone. And it could, could quantify in the moment where the data needed to be altered, you know, and it's not just a hundred percent of the time I'm taking it, you know, 15 feet left of the hole with this club or 15 feet right of the, you know, on the fat side of the target with this club. Um, you know, I, I talked, you know, a few years ago when Ian Poulter came to the 17th hole, he finished second there, but he did the same thing. He hit it out to the fat of the hole and then hit a miraculous shot, third or fourth shot into 18 to save bogey, or I believe, and finished second. And, and I said the same thing, that he really wasn't playing to win. Ian got really mad at me, you know, when all, and I said, look, I, I'm not saying I wouldn't have done the same thing. I, you know, if, if, I, if I was trying to keep my card or, you know, there's, there's five, six, seven, eight hundred million dollars at on the state online there, you know. Um, but it is the rare athlete that can have the quiet sense, the calm in that moment to to assess everything in front of him, and then the bold athlete to break away from you know a, a previous thought out strategy and say, "I'm taking this one right at the hole," uh, and that's what that 17th hole is designed for. You know, are you bold enough to take on that pin? And then you, you shouldn't be. But if you're one back playing 17, are you more likely to birdie 17 or birdie 18? You got a wedge in your hands on the 17th tee. So that particular tournament in 2000, Tiger Eagle 16 to get within one of me. He's got the tee on 17 and he fires it right at the flag. Did he really? He fired it right at the flag, and honestly, I thought it was in the water the whole time. It landed. There was probably a, less than a foot of high rough past the pilings. It landed in there and stayed in there. Come but on. it was right. He didn't hit it as good as he should have hit it. But, it was. I mean, he was going right at the flag. He's trying to win the golf tournament. He wasn't 30 feet left. No, he wasn't 30 feet left. I mean, I was the one that had to hit it 30 feet left. Yes, of course. And what people don't really realize is – that's not an easy two putt from up there. Hell no. <laughs> I mean, no. that green is so fast going that direction that it's, it's really, I mean, you got to make a three or four footer coming back if you don't make it. You know, uh, you're, you're, you heard me tell this story, but I got to tell it. And I, I don't know if your audience has heard it. So just give me just a second. But that year, you and I got paired on Saturday at LA, at the LA Open. <laughs> you, had, you had played with Tiger Thursday, Friday. And you and I are, and I knew you had played with Tiger, okay? Because everybody knows who's playing with Tiger. And you and I were playing well. I mean, uh, and uh, so we're going down the first couple of holes on Saturday. And I said, you know, how was it playing with Tiger? And uh, and you said, uh, I beat his ass. And uh, and, I, and I said, I said, yeah, you did. And uh, and uh, you said you had said that to you know some people close to you and they were like so you're not leading the golf tournament and you and you said to them you don't understand he needs to know and i need to know that i can beat his ass he needs to know it and i need to know it 
And so I, I remember thinking that and you said it with the fierceness and it was in your eyes. And I, and I, and I thought to myself, well, that is next level. Uh, that's next level thought. That's next level thinking. That is, that is a man preparing for battle. And, you know, and you, you and I were, you know, good enough friends. I, I, I respected you. I admired you. And I learned from you. And I thought, you know, that's just next level brilliance because you couldn't hit the ball as far or as high or do the things nobody could, the tiger could, but you were, you were saying to him. And in fact, like, if you're not at your best, I, I can, I can take you down. And so we fast forward now to the, to the players championship and nobody would have known what I knew besides you was that you were getting ready mentally to compete with Tiger at the LA Open months before. And so when you were going head to head, it's like I felt like I had the inside track onto how you were competing with him mentally because the people that stood to gain the most or were in his talent sort of atmosphere, not many were, but you were there. Those were not typically the ones that did the best against him. They were the ones like Bob May or uh, Chris DeMarco's. Um, Nick O'Hearns, they were lesser players that had nothing to lose in the, I'd say, in the stratosphere of golf from a reputation standpoint or from a psychological standpoint. It tended to be the middle of the road player. But you were you were within his, you know, his stratosphere. And there you were psychologically preparing yourself to do battle with Tiger. And that goes beyond, you know, the strategy of golf that goes into getting yourself ready uh, to put yourself into a situation where strategy does matter. And in this particular instance, it was how you were going to play 17 and how you were going to play 18. The hair stood up on the back of my neck as you were telling that story about hitting driver off 18. Cause you, you, you knew that you couldn't give him the sort of psychological advantage of hitting after you into the 18th hole, because who knows what he'd have done. Yeah. So, you know, it's really funny. Uh, it, Freddie, you remember Freddie, my cat. I, I, yeah, I mean, we, this whole thing was strategized with him, and he and I had a plan that if we got to 18 and we had the lead, we were going to drive it. We yeah. knew he was going to hit that two iron. We were going to drive it. When, when so the you, minute I, I – Y'all talked about that? Yeah. Y'all talked about that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the minute I hold out the putt on 17, he had hold, He didn't hit a very good chip on 17. He made about an eight-foot – hard left to right breaking putt and I had run it by the hole about four feet and I make the putt well Tiger's already gone and Freddie puts the pin in and the minute he puts the pin in he starts in on me you're the best driver of the ball you know you're the best driver of the ball hit the driver hit the driver because he didn't want me to deviate from that which there was no deviating from that in my mind but that's what a good caddy would do is less get on point Let's do exactly what we planned on doing, you know. And he didn't give a second for a bad thought to come into my head all the way to the 18th tee. All Damn. he did was pump me up as to what a good driver of the ball I was. Damn. So these are things that people need to learn out there. I mean, I'm so glad we're talking about these things because uh, they're powerful things that young kids need to learn. Yeah, I mean, those are just – deep dive, nuanced, situational aspects. But I mean, that's just great strategy, great thinking, clear mind. Um, you know, that those are, that's why, you know, I, I never really had the opportunity to, to sit around and listen to Jackie Burke. Uh, I've just, you know, I've tried to devour everything he says in print. So I've never, I've never actually met the man, but, but that's why I think 
uh, you know, sitting around talking golf with the greatest players of all time is, uh, is valuable. Um, you know, it, there's, there's one of two things that happens, you know, you know, older players sort of look back and they don't realize how good they were. You hear that in most great players, they just, they sort of don't really realize. So they don't really take the time to flush out all these thoughts like you did. And they're so valuable uh, because that's, that's, that's how the sausage gets made right there. I mean, that's, if, if you don't have that thought, if you go over there and hit three wood and then you've got four iron into the green or three iron, who knows? And then you hit it 30 feet and tiger smells blood in the water and he gets pumped up and he stuffs it in there and he makes, you know, who knows, but who you knows? were, you were thinking, Nope, I'm not giving him the psychological advantage. You know, he's going to have to, he's going to have to hit his second shot, not knowing what I'm going to do on my second shot. Right. So that's now exactly right. Now, he doesn't know, Tiger doesn't know whether to take the chance or not take the chance. But if you've already hit your shot into the green, he knows exactly what to do. Well, in my opinion, and that's where get back on the decade stuff, I think it makes it, it is great stuff for younger players to learn how to get better quickly. You will never become the great player that causes people to talk about you without deviating from that at the right time. And that's my thought. And that's yeah. where I, I want to go a little deeper into this. Just, just real quickly, you know, Brando, you mentioned situational awareness and it's something that Hal and I have been talking about a lot on here. And I think it's, I think it's beautiful because, you know, to me in a perfect world, if you're young, if you're working on tour, your caddy needs to be decade. Your caddy needs to be hit it here, hit it here, hit it here. But then when you step up on 17, you know, one shot behind and it's, you've been pure in your irons. It's a perfect number. You catch the wind at a perfect time. You're a PGA tour player. You can hit 135 yard shot within four or five feet. Like if it's that right number. And that's what I, I want you guys to touch base on. Like, when do you override it? And when do you say, no, I'm going to aim 10 feet left. And if I do pull it, I'm going to hit it to 30 feet and have to two putt. And if I do fan it, it's, it's still okay. It's, it's in the bunker. It's on the green. Like, when do you when do you really you know override the red light and and turn it into a green light? Well, that that's that's exactly it. That's like how often do you have a chance to win? And you're like, is it worth the risk? You're okay, if I go at it and hit it in the water, it's going to cost me a lot of money. But how many times do you really have to win? I mean, in golf, you make it to the Hall of Fame if you win three percent of the time. So you don't have. I mean, if you play, if you went 3% of the time, you know, you, you strap late, play 500 tournaments, 3% of the time anymore, that's 15 wins. Okay. That's three. That's going to get you in the Hall of Fame. It's borderline going to get you in the Hall of Fame. Um, so you just don't have that many chances to win. So when you do have a chance to win and you have a, from a percentage standpoint, hitting a short iron to a target that is, that's probably 20 feet from that slope over there, 25 feet from that slope over there to the edge of the green. It's, it's doable. It's doable by the best player in the world at that moment. So, you know, you, you have to, you know, as, as, as Hal just said, you, you weigh the options. You obviously take into effect how you're hitting the golf ball. Your caddy's going to take that into effect. You know, like now's your moment, you know, now's your moment. I mean, I mean, yeah, you're going to make a lot of money, but you're, what, winning the players is a it, it's a it's a step to the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's it's a colossal achievement. Um, so every player faces moments like that in a, in in a week, making the cut, finishing in the top ten. You know, you have all these many sort of hurdles you're trying to get at, or many goals. But but 
but there's nothing like winning a golf tournament. I won once in my career on the tour, once, one dead gum time. And it's, uh, you know, people love to give me grief about only having one once, but I, I, I mean, I remember every moment of that week. I remember what I thought. I remember the situations. I remember the chances I took, you know, the, the safe plays I made. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's still a, you know, it, it's, it's a beautiful, a beautiful, it takes me to beautiful places thinking about that week. So I got another question for you, Brandon. How many times did you finish second? I think about four or five. I lost a couple of playoffs. Okay. So you don't even know exactly. Exactly. I don't. That's You just made my point. I don't know how many times I finished second, but you knew how many times you won, and I know how many times I won. <laughs> People are missing the point. Yes. We play golf to win. And, and, and I'm not saying you start on the first hole, the 72-hole tournament, thinking about trying to win the tournament. I'm thinking that as you get there, that moment begins to present itself. And when the moment is right there, they will never remember you if you finish second. That's right. I mean, it's exactly right. It's like, you know, the I get strategy. And I, I you know, it's as I said, Jack Nicklaus conservative. Hogan was conservative. Tiger was conservative. I don't think that's. And you just said, I mean, I don't know anybody hit the golf ball straighter than you. Maybe Calvin Pete. Calvin Pete also won there. Um, but if, if you're taking a conservative line off of 18 down the right side, what the hell am I doing trying to curve it around that corner and gain an angle? If you are, you're taking a conservative line. Uh, that's how good you are and, and how conservative you are there. But does that mean that you're not going to hit driver there on Sunday because you want the you don't want Tiger to have the psychological advantage of having you hit your tee shot or second shot in there, and you want the psychological advantage of getting to hit your second shot after him. That's just you know being in the moment. What that, that that's that's being in the moment, and and also being a chess player, which is a cognitive. You know that's the great thing about golf. It's not just a physical game; it's a cognitive game. That's exactly right. I got another question for you. Chase and I were at the open forum and we were trying to think maybe 2013 or something like that. And you were not a fan of the technology at that time, track man and things like that. Uh, where are you now? And, you know, have you changed your tune? I wasn't a fan of technology then. And I'll tell you why, because I thought teaching was wrong then. Uh, and they were using it to validate flawed ideas. I thought teaching was just off its rocker at that point. At that point, uh, you know, stack and tilt still held sway and stack and tilt uh, descendants and spinoffs still held sway. It was still teaching Tiger Woods, uh, staying centered, left centered. And they were all walking around saying, you know, we're using this data it validates what we're doing. And I knew they were wrong. And, and so I just, coupled the 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 data um or the instruments with the teachers and said you guys are all nuts the data is the the instruments are great if i were teaching i'd have every one of them and if i were playing golf i'd have every one of them but they've come they've all come full circle i mean teaching has changed drastically from 2013 2014 they're 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 you know, I, like I, I, the reason I wrote 
Anatomy of Greatness. The reason I wrote that book is because I was like, I think teaching has lost its mind. I know the greats didn't do these things. I'm going to do my part, whatever small part I can, to shift the pendulum back to a rational discussion about teaching. And I, I spent a whole book showing how nobody stayed centered. Nobody stayed centered. And nobody kept their head centered. And nobody stayed left in the backswing. And, and that you could pick up club head speed by simply turning more and lifting your lead heel. It wasn't a year and a half later, Sean Foley sent me video of Hunter Mahan, Sean O'Hare, can't believe it, somebody else. All of them, he said, oh, Justin Rose. And he, he sent me, I could, I could dig it up my phone. And, he, and he's like, these guys are swinging eight miles an hour. I'm just getting them to lift their lead heel. So right after that, Justin Rose won um, you know, the U.S. Open shortly after that. That was in January of 2013. Uh, right after that, Justin Rose won the U.S. Open. Right after that, Justin Rose got longer. Uh, and I'm, I'm not saying I have a huge part in it, but I have a small part in it. And I think the measuring devices and long-distance drivers, um, long-distance drivers and being able to trace their movement patterns, and that's with this data that's with these uh, forensic devices. Those things helped understand the movement patterns of power. And so um, I have changed my opinion about all of that stuff 180 degrees. I'd have it all if I taught. And that doesn't mean I'd be, because I, I love information. The more information, the better. Why would I guess? But back then, I conflated the, the sort of the track man with the people who were using the track man. And I thought they were all wrong. Uh, I knew they were wrong. Because no, no great players did what they did were teaching at the time. And, 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 and now then, teaching has evolved. And all of those, you know, the flight scopes, the track man, the pressure, pressure plates, uh, 3D cameras, they're, they're fantastic. I'd have them all. I'd, I'd, even now when I go out and practice, I put a flight scope right out there. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm always looking at the data. I love it. Randall, do you think, and we have, we have all that stuff here. So you're preaching to the choir with, with <laughs> us. do you think one of the things that Hal and I always had an interesting discussion about when we got together was cause I was on the data side and you know, he was on the, the PGA tour with yeah. victory side, right. Yeah. Was who's the data for. And, and I think early on Hal didn't like the data because, or was skeptical of it because he thought we were going to give the data to give all the data to all of our players. And, and it was more like, no, the data is where we got to view ourselves as doctors in the, in the grand scheme of things. And the, and the data in my mind is for the instructor, just like you said, not to guess, we don't have to guess as much if we've got the data, you know, do you agree? Would you have been a player back in the day? Like Bryson wanted everything. He wanted to, to know exactly what every joint and every muscle was doing when we, we would suit him up in 3d and he'd want to, want to know it the day before you know colonial i'm like bryson no quit worrying about all that stuff but he loved it would you have been one that like really you know wanted all the data would you just want the one little piece that that would have helped you play better well when i was playing i didn't want the data because i knew the data didn't lead to better golf because it was flawed and i i just intuited i knew it was flawed i knew teaching was flawed i just didn't know how it was flawed now then if i was playing golf i would want the data i mean i'm a I like that. I like information. I, I like those deep dives. I, I, along those lines, I was watching, I was at the, I was on our set at the Arnold Palmer Invitational this year. Behind my set, I see uh, Sean Foley out there with, working with Justin Rose. I knew they had broken up. So seeing them together, I thought, what's going on? So I, I got off the show and I called Sean and I said, you know, what, what's going on here? What are you doing? 
What are you guys working on? And, you know, in the course of the conversation, he says to me that he's also working with Lydia Ko. And he said that, you know, one of the things that was hard working with Lydia Ko was getting her to sort of clean the slate and just play golf. And he said she was hitting a shot and going back and looking at the data, hitting a shot, going back and looking at the data. And Sean says to Lydia, what are you doing? Why are you looking, hitting a shot and going looking at the data? And she said, well, that's what Justin Rose does. And Sean goes, yeah, if Justin Rose wasn't a golfer, he'd be an engineer. If you weren't a golfer, you'd be an artist. And so there's a difference. If you're a teacher, you have to understand that, you know, and then, you know, eons ago, how uh, uh, Harvey Pinnock was teaching Ben Crenshaw and Tom Kite. Tom Kite, if he wasn't a golfer, would be an accountant or an engineer. And Crenshaw would be drawing the most beautiful art you've ever seen. And so Harvey Pinnock in, intuited what Sean Foley was saying to Lydia Ko and Justin Rose. I'm more of a Justin Rose, Tom Kite. I would love the data. I would, because I would, if I'm teaching too, if I was teaching, I would want all the data because I would look for connections and parallels. And I would try to think, and I would try to inform my teaching so that when I go teach a student, I could more accurately describe to them how to connect the dots, cause and effect. Here's cause and effect. Now they don't need to know how I know it. They don't need that. I don't need to tell my student how smart I am by saying, look, I've done this data, that data, this data, that data. I just need to say, you need to feel more on top of it. You need to feel like your spine angles more this way. And automatically their path is going to be more to the left, you know, and the face is going to be, you know, more to the left. Um, so I, I'm, I'm more of a, a data geek. I don't know what Hal is. You know, my guess is I think Hal's more of a player, but I don't know. He said blend, I think. Well, you know, one of the things that I get frustrated with when in teaching is people come in here and they see track man numbers, you know, and they say, well, I'd like to be two or three to the right, positive two or three. And that always frustrates me because I'm looking for their personal best, whatever that is. That may be, you know, two to the left, it may, instead of just an automatic two to the right. And, you know, what we try to tell everybody that comes in here is you're on a journey to get better. And it's your personal journey. This will be personal to you, not what everybody else that's come along in the game has done. So let's find out where you need to be. And, you know, I've changed through the years. You know, I was the lateral guy. And, you know, Jimmy talked about, we'll go back, Jimmy Ballard talked about, you know, throwing it, pinching the dime. And there isn't a teacher in the world that would do that right now. Not a teacher in the world. And here's the truth. I lost all of my distance, all of my energy. The minute I did that, it Hell was yeah, gone. And, you know, there's not a single teacher in America, right, or anywhere else in the world that would teach that. Now, no. Jimmy wasn't malicious. It's what he thought. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, Curtis and I had, darn good careers and we believe um, that amazing but y'all are a testament to how important it is to be a bad student you know you probably didn't do all those things <laughs> and, and 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 back then you guys made it because one you had strong minds two you worked your ass off three you looked at empirical evidence like what's that ball doing i can do it and four you were just bad students because if you did if you did those things if you cast it like that on the way down I mean, you you probably cast it a little bit, but not probably like Jimmy Dallard wanted you to. Um, 
Well, so, and, and Brando, it's interesting you said, like Mark Brooks was in here for the Insperity the other day, and he brought up a comment that instructors have told me. They said that they don't care exactly the route you go down swing method wise, as long as you believe in it and, and, and work on it. Meaning like you, you believe in it, like you said, they, you know, Curtis and how had the mindset, but they also worked really hard. Like there's a, there's a million different ways to do it. And that goes back to this Furic point of Furic. I, and I wholeheartedly believe this too. He could have won as much as he did with any golf swing. Like as long as it was functional golf swing, obviously yeah. like, you, know, you can't yeah. be a handicap yeah. in it, but yeah. You know, it, it, it goes back to this and it goes back to Hal's point of it's not just golf swing, it's belief, it's, you know, it's the situational awareness stuff that you guys talked about so beautifully at the players. It's all this stuff. It's it's hitting a to a back left, pit, back left pin on 13 at a gust off a hanging lie and knowing that that ball doesn't want to turn as much as it usually does. You know, like just those little things that you guys were so good at. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I uh, yeah, I. I wholeheartedly uh, agree. Um, you know, I, I think Mark was, you know, one of the smartest golfers I ever played with. Uh, didn't have the physical skills, didn't hit it long, but, uh, but, um, you know, Mark was very good at, he, he said, I thought one of the more brilliant things I've ever heard anybody say, and I've, I've, you know, I've tried to incorporate this into, you know, how I talk about, you know, strategy he was, he was like, why is a fade? better than a draw. Um, you know, historically Jack was a fader, um, Hogan fader, uh, tiger fader. You hear everybody now talking about the benefits of fade. Why, why is it better? And well, I mean, okay. Yeah, sure. You can clear as hard as you want and hold off. And it's, it just feels easier to do that. But into the green, there has to be some benefit to it. And Mark was like, yeah, because fades finish out to the right and they stop quicker, which means that you're more likely going to have uphill putts that break, right to left, which are a higher make percentage putts. Data shows that. He goes, so imagine, you know, he didn't say it quite like this, but, you know, imagine over a day, a week, a month, a year, a career, having more uphill putts uh, that break right to left. And I thought, okay, that's brilliant, you know, and, and that's that's how smart Mark is. You know, I think Mark's a very smart guy. Um, so, we, you know, we're all – we're all, we're all, we're all learning. Um, but you know, the, the thing that's interesting about, uh, Jimmy Ballard is Jimmy Ballard. And you, you know, this, how he learned from Sam Bird, right? And Sam Bird was a, uh, a, a backup to Babe Ruth or, you know, he played on that, those famous teams with the Yankees and, and supposedly a guy who, and this is how easy information can be misconstrued. Sam Bird, learned from Babe Ruth and he, he, he learned the secret of power, or at least in his mind from the greatest power hitter, the game, the baseball game had ever seen. And he extrapolated that to golf. And then he gave it to Jimmy Ballard and Jimmy Ballard's move was nothing about power. It was about accuracy. And so you're talking about from Babe Ruth to Hal Sutton, there's a link there, right? But what Babe Ruth talked about were his keys to power it's not too dissimilar from Hogan's five fundamentals. What they talk about and what they did are two different things. I mean, now, you know, Bay, you know, Bay would turn, you know, he would turn like if you had an aerial camera, if you had a camera above his head, you saw the trace patterns of his, the butt end of his bat, it would be in a tight circle. You know, it'd be a very tight hub and it'd be rotation and holding that bat off. But 
he talked about getting the bat out in front of him. and shared that with Sam. Sam shared it with Jimmy Ballard. And so Jimmy Ballard talks about getting that club out in front of him. So it's so easy for what a player actually does to be in a feel sense transferred to somebody else and completely misconstrued. You know, the only I used to think when I, I now look at Jimmy Ballard, what, what did Jimmy get right? Jimmy got movement off of the ball. So I would laud Jimmy compared to stack and tilt because at least Jimmy got movement up here and then movement towards the ball. So you're controlling spine angle. You're moving on top of the ball with spine angle. Stack and tilt would be here. And then on the transition, they're here. Uh, so at least Jimmy, Jimmy, whether he knew it or not, had one part of it right, which was you're on top of it. And that's, that's how Curtis Strange hit it so straight. It's how House hit it so straight. They were up on top of it. If Jimmy had said, well, you got to move off of the ball and then feel weight as you transition, they would well, one, they wouldn't have done it. Hal wouldn't have done it and Curtis wouldn't have done it. But because they, were, they probably went to Jimmy and they went, you know, they were just, they hit it straight, man. You cover the ball. Jimmy was teaching a real straight hitting golf swing, just not You powerful. know, it's funny that you bring this up. This is really bringing back some memories to me. Uh, every time I'd go see Jimmy Ballard, he'd make me move the ball way forward. And I used to say, why do you make me move it so far forward? He said, cause I want you to have to move a lot to get up to it, to cover. Damn, that's and <laughs> so does that play right into your, yes. man? I mean, I, I'd, I'd leave there and I would never put it as far forward as he wanted it forward. <laughs> and he wanted you to really chase forward to get to it. He wanted you behind it at the top of your swing in your backswing, and then he wanted you to really go get it. Yeah, and so that's exactly right. He got this right. The, the well, hard part, that's, what, that's what he preached. The hard part for me was you have all this movement off. You're springing the shaft out away from you while you're also trying to move forward, like the, the balancing <laughs> point. And, and, and Hal, tell, some, tell the story about how you had one of, his, one of his assistants go caddy for you. Well, I kept hitting it left all the time. And – Jimmy said, there's no reason why you should be hitting it left all the time. And I said, I'm telling you, I can't do it. So uh, I can't keep from doing it. And so finally I said, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to hire Chris. Chris can work for me for a year. He can report back to you all the time. And, you know, Chris left after that. He's like, <laughs> I run him out of it because he agreed with me. You know, one of the things, I mean, I love Jimmy to death. He's a, he's a great guy. He worked his heart out to try to teach people to be better. But so much of what we've talked about today is people were doing the best they could with what they had, which wasn't very much. Absolutely. And, and, you know, for every kid and every golfer that's listening to us right now, the, the tools that are available to get better, if you get with the right teacher and they have their heart and mind into it, the, the chances of getting better are so much greater now than they ever were before. We're, as you put it earlier, we're not guessing anymore. We're actually have some facts that we can that's, draw off of. That's exactly right. I used to say, I, I mean, I guess I still say is that, you know, eons ago, if you were lucky enough to run into the right teacher, okay, you had to be, and, he, and that teacher was lucky enough to have stumbled onto ideas that worked because they were guessing and players were guessing going to teachers. So those two things had to happen. 
You had to be lucky enough to run into the right teacher and the teacher had to be lucky enough to stumble onto the right ideas. And then you had to have amazing dedication, discipline and mental fortitude and perseverance and all those other things. You had a chance to make the tour. It's lucky that Jack Nicholas ran into Jack Grout. Pure luck that he ran into a teacher that had studied under, well, through another player. Um, he had studied under Alex Morrison, who was, you know, who he taught things like keeping the head back, right? Transition, talked about getting to your left side. He had all these great, great ideas that, you know, he shared with Harry Picard, who shared with Ben Hogan, and Ben Hogan and Jack Grout were friends. So Jack Grout learned it from Ben Hogan, and then he took these ideas and gave them to Jack Nicholas. He's lucky. Jack was lucky that he was happened to be in the company of Jack Grout. And there's other instances of that. If you were Tom Watson was lucky that he was in the company of Stan Thurst, who taught him to have high hands. You know, Jack, you know, Tom wanted to swing like Sam Snead, but hit it high like Jack. So he was like, well, you got to get your hands up. here." Um, and then you had to have all those other things. Now, then you're right. Teaching across the board is so much better. Like I listen to and hang on the word of teachers now. And before I would just argue with them, you know, and I still enjoy arguing with Lucas Wald about where the left leg goes because he's talking power and I'm talking players. Um, but teaching is so much more precise now. If something makes it to a cover of a magazine now, it's been vetted for the most part. And before yeah. it was just, you know, somebody saying, hey, you got to shift right and shift left. I mean, there's some good stuff in there, but nobody would put that idea that that idea doesn't make it stack and tilt doesn't make it shift right shift left doesn't make it anymore in the magazine better ideas better teaching you're not guessing anymore and and the student is going to benefit so well so, go ahead uh, i was gonna say brando you mentioned arguing um what's your give me a give me the biggest twitter argument that you've gotten into that you wish the people you're arguing against would you could you could convince them that you were you were as right as you thought you were <laughs> Well, you know, look, I, uh, I, I fought with the stack and tilt guys, uh, and they had, you know, they had, I, I always, you know, I, I used to, I was on a plane once with all of them, a private plane with all the stack and tilt guys and all their descendants, you know, their, their converts were on there. And I, I fought with all of them. I was like, you all, you, you've not shown me one piece of video that is from straight, 90 degrees in front of the player, you show it all skewed to the left. So of course they're going to look like they're hanging um, towards the target. Uh, so, you know, a lot of stack and tilters and, you know, like Grant Wade, I'm a friend of, I like Grant a lot, but there was a point in time where Grant was a, a left leaning, left teaching sort of stack and tilter like Sean Foley. I got swings of Grant. Uh, and, um, you know, I, if golf machine, um, People, I, look, I know there's a million interpretations. So you go read Golf Machine on page 12 of the Golf Machine, a book that, that wants you to believe in very detailed, specific pieces of data. Cannot get something as simple as the head does not. On, 12, on page 12 of that book, it talks about how the head must stay centered. It must stay centered. And it's like, I would say, well, how do you expect me to believe more difficult aspects of this book when it can't get the simplest thing right? Okay. It misses the simplest thing. Doesn't even sniff it. Okay. And you want me to believe all this other stuff. And so I've done a deep dive into golf machine and I have, you know, the data in my phone, you know, cause I've talked to people who know a lot more about science than I do. And, and we've looked at that book and they broke it down where it gets things wrong. 
Uh, and then I've seen the golf machine destroy so many different golf games. Now Bryson comes along and he, and so I fought with golf machine people. I saw stack and tilt people. I fought with Grant Waite. Grant and our friends, he blocked me. I blocked him. I can't even remember what we, you know, we ended up somewhere. I'm like, bro, look, I just disagree with your thoughts on the swing. And Twitter's a tough place to fight, you know, to, to sort of weed out nuance. I said, you know, I could show you video where nobody swings like that. And now I, ironically enough, I got paired with Grant Waite, the final of, of uh, Champions Tour Q School 2019. And Grant doesn't hang left anymore. And Grant bombs it, bombs it. And it can still hit it great. Um, but yeah, I mean, debating with all those people, you know, Steve Elkington and I, I'm not going to say he and I were buddies, but we grew up together playing college golf. And I certainly enjoyed Steve. But, you know, you know, Steve is Steve's a pretty tough guy. You know, he's a pretty he's quick. He's opinionated. He's smart. All that. I, Steve and I, he blocked me. I blocked him. Say, like, because I don't look, I can go back and show you. And if Steve's listening to this, I was like, Steve, I can show you exactly where your your ball striking fell off. Now, there may be contributing reasons for that. You know, your problem with allergies and grasses and injuries, whatnot. But it, it suspiciously fell off when you got tied up with, uh, with golf machine. Uh, and I've look, I have all of his data and I know the before and the after, and I know exactly when he started working with golf machine or pretty darn close. Cause he wrote the forward to one of their books. Um, and so, yeah, I debate, you know, I, I, I don't like losing friends. I, I enjoy, and that's the thing. Teachers were always fun to debate. Um, but there was a period of time where the, Stack and Tilt and the golf machine people became very militant uh, in their opinions. And uh, I, uh, I just, I always said the proof's in the pudding. Show me who swings like that. Show me if they're leading in ball striking, leading in distance and all these wonderful other statistics. Show me where that is. Show me, show me when they get better. And if they get better, I'm, I will throw my hands up, say I was dead wrong. You were dead right. The proof's in the pudding. And it never happened stack and tilt. It never happened with golf machine. Um, but, you know, golf machine doesn't get a lot of play these days. I argue with Chuck Cook because Chuck Cook's a big proponent of golf machine. Uh, and I've argued with him in front of, you know, all the best teachers in the world. He'd stand up and take issue with something I'd said. Um, you know, he's, he's done it several times when I'm at conferences. And uh, I like Chuck, but, you know, he and I don't see eye to eye on that. Well, Randall, this has been great. Well, you've spent a lot of time with us. Uh, you know, we've been friends for a long time, and uh, I'm I'm not going to block you. <laughs> <laughs> I, hey, listen, that would break my heart because I love reading your tweets. Uh, they're they're right what golf needs this holistic approach. Uh, there's more than one way to get it done, and uh, uh, you know how I'm I'm such a, a fan of years as as a player and. Uh, as a, as an intellect. And, um, I just enjoy it. I really do. I always had, and Chase, it's so nice to meet you and catch up and, and it's a great team that you guys have, you know, it really is. Um, and I, I wish you all the best and keep doing what you're doing. I really enjoy it. The golf world needs it. Uh, you two guys are great. I don't know what it is about Texas that, that just brings all the best together about golf, but, uh, but you're, you're right down there at the, 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 the Mecca of the game of golf with Jackie Burke and all the boys out there at champions. How, well, we appreciate you being on, and I know everybody listening is going to enjoy this. So uh, yeah. thanks again, Brandon. My pleasure. Trust me. Take care, fellas. Take care. All right. 
again, you said wow after the first one. I would say wow after that one too. There's there were so many good nuggets. I thought you guys talking about the situational awareness stuff was. I, I mean, I think it's so incredibly important for every serious golfer to to be able to sit there in the moment and make the best decision they can, whether it's to win a club championship, whether it's to break 80 for the first time, what's the decision? Can we commit to it? Can we accept if we, if we don't do, if it doesn't turn out the way we were hoping that it would? Well, you know, we talked about a lot of things on there. You know, he's, he's a proponent in decade and Scott Fawcett, you know, he agrees with uh, playing conservative. He talked a lot about playing conservative. I played conservative. You don't start out on the first hole trying to win the tournament. Right. You start out on the first hole trying to put one good shot next to another good shot next to another good shot. And then you hope that that situation occurs at the end of the tournament where you have to make a decision. Yeah. And it may not be a mathematical equation. Yeah. It may be this is my moment in time to set myself apart from the rest of the people in the game. Sure. Brandle talks about that in this uh, uh, in this podcast. And, you know, I, I really appreciate He talked about Stuart Sink, you yeah. know, when he had a chance to win at Hartford and his caddy talked him into hitting the shot. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talked about, you know, Lee Westwood at TPC this yeah. year. You know, that bothered me. I thought I, I really wanted to be on Lee's back so I could say, come on, man, this is your time. Yeah. Let's take it. Right. All of you as a golfer are going to run across those times where it's your moment. Recognize it and make a good decision that you can commit to. You know, he talked about something that we, we talk a lot about in here. The are, Is the student in front of you an engineer or are they, they more of an artist? And I think that's so important for you guys listening at home to, you know, make sure that your instructors know, you know, look, I'm more of a data data you know nerd i like the numbers i like to get as much information as i can or no i'm more of a visual i'm going to see the shot feel the shot do all that stuff more from an artistic standpoint because it's so important if if your instructor's teaching everybody the exact same way you know he might not you know get to your artistic mind as well as he would you know somebody else that's more of an engineer i thought i thought that was that was awesome well it was awesome you know i'm i'm more the opposite i think Brandel's more of a data guy, and you're more of a data guy. I'm more of a give me one thing and let me see where that leads us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, he talked about a lot in here was, you know, left hip up over your left foot instead of inside the left foot. And, I mean, it brought back many, many memories yeah. for me because, um, you know, I got on top of it as hard as anybody in the game. And, you know, when my hip started hurting, you know, I I, I didn't get on it as hard as I used to. Yep. And I kind of tried to become somebody else and I, because my left hip didn't get there. Right. And, you know, it just – so this was kind of really important for Hal Sutton to hear this yep. is my point. You know, Brandle – taught me a little bit he didn't it wasn't new information for me it was a reminder of what i used to do that made me want to get up and hit balls <laughs> and, and i think i think this goes back to you know he we we got into some golf swing stuff and some theory you're talking about the left hip and stuff to me i think everything a couple of things one everything needs to be in moderation right you know we can overdo anything you know I, he 
I'll bring up Stack and Tilt. He mentioned Stack and Tilt a few times. I would um, I would consider Andy Plummer, who actually Andy Plummer and Mike Bennett. Andy Plummer founded Stack and Tilt to be one of the best instructors in the country. He's he's phenomenal. But the problem is, you know, his system. He's taught a lot of other instructors how to how to teach what some of the stuff he believes, and some of it's gotten exaggerated and gone a little too far, and so now it's turned into this left some some too far into left-leaning movements where if you just called stack and tilt a, a fairly centered golf swing no one would have too too many issues with it you know but it goes into if we if if jimmy ballard told how sutton to move off the ball a little bit there's a certain amount that works and it's something that you talk about all the time ebbing and flowing through perfection mm-hmm. right and it's mm-hmm. so easy to go too far too far whether it's we're trying not to slide so much to hit it farther, whether we're trying to slide a little bit more to control low point with irons. I guess my, my overall arching theme on this would be for you guys at home, listen and find what works the best for you. When you're swinging at your best, when you're playing your best, get as much data as you can on how you're moving it. We do it with all of our college players. They play in 12 tournaments a year. We try to figure out, you know, we, we, we've both taught a, a really good player at Texas and, and, you know, he sent me a message the other day and said, I'm swinging at the best I, I have. Here's all my videos. And like, for me as an instructor, I love that because it's like, here it is. He says he's, he's a phenomenal ball striker. He says, this is what feels the best to him. And the ball's doing what we want it to do. Now we have it when he comes back in the middle of summer after playing in the wind or doing this or doing that. Hey, look, you're a little this way. You're a little this way. And that's where I don't, there's just not one way. We talked about it with Furyk. We talked about it on there a bunch. There's not one way to swing a golf club there's not one way one set black and white way to play golf you need to be committed you need to have a game plan you need to believe in yourself but after that you know pick a path that works best for how Sutton Chase Cooper for you guys at home and 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 live by it well we talked about it a lot on here you know um, Chase and I talk about it almost every podcast that we have about seek this is your personal journey and seek what is best for you not necessarily what the world has decided is best and you know we have people come in here all the time that uh you know i get it all the time i want to be plus two plus three to the right on track man inside to out and what the, what what they don't understand is the more I swing inside to out, the harder it is to control my low point. Uh, low point moves back a little bit closer to the ball. It, it's just, a lot of these things are hard, more difficult. Well, and you, you can't just change path without the rest of the system changing. That's exactly right. Yeah. And and you know we talked about data being important to the teacher more so than it is to the student. If you're not a real student of Everything when it comes to golf, data could really slow you down in the process. So the teacher needs to understand the data more so than the student does. So, you know, I I just loved everything that Brandel said. He, you know, he's smart enough. He's eloquent with the way he says it. And it's, you know, just makes sense. And, uh, you know, I felt fortunate that we were able to have Brandel on here. as Chase said, he's a he's a needle mover, and one of the reasons why he is is because he's he's opinionated. It's it's not a guess. It's educated. He's done the study on it, yeah. and and he will debate you on it. That's what I was, that's what I was going to say. He's not going to throw something out and then hide hide behind the tweet. Like he he'll back up his thoughts. Yes. And, and and I love that. Whether whether we believe that you should swing, get the high hands, and and lift the left heel or not, that that, that that's really a mute point. You know, obviously golf swing wise, we're a big fan of of unrestricted hip turns. We've said that on here a ton. 
But again, he has an opinion. He's done his research, and and he believes he has data. He has facts to back it up. And I, I, I love I love people that aren't aren't afraid to step out on the ledge with with some some info behind it. Well, what Brandle did here is he set the bar high for whoever we have on here next yep. because uh, to you know he challenged us in the process and. Um, that's what every golfer wants to be is challenged. And I've felt challenged every time I walk out on the golf course. And, you know, when I sit down to talk about golf with somebody as intelligent as you and Brandel Chambly, I mean, it's a deep dive into a subject that we all care about. And, you know, to be able to bring this to y'all is just chasing my pleasure to be able to do this and we're going to keep doing it yeah we said all the time these are a lot of fun for us we hope you guys enjoyed this this two-part series with brandle and uh we'll see you next time with another awesome fun guest be the right club today yes